Good morning, Northwest. It is a tremendous honor to stand here and see everybody this morning. And we are continuing with the book of Acts. We are talking this morning about relationships. And this is a, a topic that is very difficult for me. Um, I see Rick Ramont here, and he was also raised in a missionary family. And we traveled a lot. We never were in one place very long. And so it was, I'm discovering as I get older how difficult it is for me to have relationships the way that the Bible instructs us to have relationships, the way that Jesus' blood purchased that relationship to be. And so even though this is a very simple, wonderful, easy-to-preach sermon about friendships and loving one another, it is very difficult for me to walk this out. And for all of those of us that... um, Wasn't worship wonderful this morning? It was just great. And for all of us that were singing hallelujah, for all of us that were entering in, that was the easy part. The hard part is obeying God. And he said that obedience is so much better than sacrifice and singing and praising. I want you to obey me. So my encouragement to you this morning is to listen and to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit would say this morning, because this is a profound yet simple thought that the Holy Spirit would like to convey this morning. We're going to start, since we're in Acts, we're going to start with, of course, salvation, but it's about the Apostle Paul. And the part that we're going to be reading, he's still called Saul. But he, it, this is very important because apart from the person of Jesus Christ and his story, this person in history, in, in Christian history, is probably the most pivotal because of what God did through him and with him. So there are some things that we can learn about his life. Now, we understand that the Bible reveals the nature of God through the scriptures. And so we look at the Bible when we read with what is God trying to say today? What's the historical meaning of this? And how do I apply this today? So let's look at his conversion story. This is a a powerful, powerful story about God interacting with us. And it's incredible because this man was what we would call today a true fanatic. He was almost maniacal in his relentless pursuit of people that he called followers of the way. And so God had to confront him in a very unique way. And let's read that story right now, and then we'll apply lessons for ourselves today from it. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, basically looking for subpoenas, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He was going outside the city into another country to seek out people that said they were followers of this radical that was killed Jesus. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, and implied with that his children, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. 
he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That's an important, important verse. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, let me just stop for a second because this is pretty important. This man was on a mission to grind Christians into the dust. That was his intent. He wanted to crush them. And so what does God do? God puts his face down into the dust. His goal was to take Christians bound and throw them into prison. And what does God do? He has Paul bound by blindness and going to Damascus. So he wanted to imprison, stone, behead, all of these things to the people that he found. And what does God say here? Let's look. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and this is a different one from the one that we read about earlier that that lied to the Spirit of God. We actually don't hear about this Ananias anymore after after this story. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he can see again. Now we could do a whole sermon here on the prophetic and how it is real in our hearts today and how it is the office of a prophet is still alive today, but we'll keep moving forward for time. But Lord claimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. So what he's saying here is, he is coming to arrest me. He is on his way to arrest me, my wife, my children. Do you understand what you're asking me to do? How many times has the Lord spoken a word to you. Go talk with that person. Go pray with that person. Forgive that person. Be generous with that person. And we're like, God, you don't understand. You don't understand what they did. You don't they don't deserve my kindness. You don't understand. God cuts through all of that. He just wants us to obey. He just wants us to obey him. We don't have to have all the answers and the angles figured out. He wants obedience from me and from you. But the Lord said, what did he say? Go. What does he say to me? Go. What does he say to you? Go. If we're believers, if we're disciples, if it started with our salvation, Saul is chosen, my chosen instrument, to take my message, he's making it pretty clear here, this is about me, this is about my glory, this is about my purpose on the earth. So shut it and go. 
So Ananias went, but let me back up. And I will show him. He is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. This is an incredible verse. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, most people don't get this insight. Most people don't reveal. God hasn't revealed to me what he has planned for me, specifically in the way of the things I'm going to need to suffer, the things I'm going to need to walk through. For most of us, that's the way it is. We, that is not uncovered for us yet. We walk by faith. But for some reason, probably because of the importance of this man's mission, God said, I'm going to show him. And we know that he went for three years to Arabia, and God ministered to him, and other believers ministered to him. But God said, I, this man, I'm going to show everything that he is going to suffer to be my follower. And I think this is so incredible, because the very things that Saul, Paul, was wanting to do, breathing out threats, he intended to imprison children. He intended to murder men and women. He intended to beat men and women. And everything that he intended, God said, I'm going to show him. He will have to endure this for my name's sake. He is going to have to endure beatings. He is going to have to endure stonings. He will have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And for some reason, Paul alone was allowed to see what he would suffer to be a disciple. So Ananias went and found Saul. Obedience is so much sweeter than any song we could sing. Obedience is so much better than any offering we could promise God. He says, I want you just to obey me. I'll tell you something, it will not make sense to you. It will fight against your flesh. You won't want to do it. It will make you look silly. It might make you feel foolish. I'm asking you to be obedient. So Ananias went, found Saul. He laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, what act of faith is that? What an incredible act of faith. Ananias didn't have the foresight that God knew. He, he didn't know God's plans for this man to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He didn't know. He just knew God was calling him to go to someone that wanted to harm him, lay his hands on him, and release life. Accept him into the fellowship of those that now trusted in the blood of Jesus. Bring him into this family, a family that was purchased by God's blood. Brother Saul, how tremendous is that? He laid his hands and said, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales, and this is Dr. Luke writing this, so he's going to describe it that way. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up. It was the first thing he did to signify, I am now a believer. I now identify with those in the way, those that are following Jesus. What did he do? Baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food, 
regained his strength, and Saul stayed with believers in Damascus for a few days. Our call to salvation, your personal call, how God found you, where he found you, what he brought you out of, what he rescued you from, your call to salvation is a call to serve. It's a call. It's a recruitment call. Some people have never answered that call. Some people are content in their comfort. And we'll see them in heaven. We'll see them in glory. Because it's the mercy and the blood of Jesus that redeems us. But if we can understand that God has a purpose for calling us, he has a purpose that he wants us to fulfill on this earth. He has a plan. He has a vision for this earth. And he wants to use me. And your call to salvation is a call to serve. They were, when, when Paul was re recalling his salvation account, he said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus. There you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. All that is appointed. In Ephesians, it talks about we're God's masterpiece. He created us. And before the foundation of the world, he planned things for us to do, good things, purposeful things. Paul's conversion established a pattern for his dependence. Now, this dependence is an interdependence. He was competent on his own. He was a, a learned man, a scholar, a man full of passion. But he needed to be taught to depend on other believers. To accomplish what God had purposed for him to accomplish, he needed other people. This dependence, this, this friends he, he drew around him, this team that he formed, would follow him for the rest of his life, this pattern. So we have our call to salvation, which is our call to serve. Then we begin to build friendships. Now, some of us are like, well, I have friends. When I got saved, I have a whole bunch of friends. I have friends from the world. And of course, we had friends that we went drinking with. We had friends that we partied with. But that's not the friends that we're talking about here. We're, what we're talking about are friends. The, the, the biblical word is koinonia. The fellowship of people that believe who Jesus is. That is a special friendship that you don't find with people who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And we're called to be able to step into our purpose. We are called to surround ourselves with friends, with those friends that can, that can pray for us, that can love us, that can help draw out that call, that purpose that God has for us. Amen? God not only called Paul to a life of service, but he called alongside him friends who would help him fulfill that call. I love what the missionary William Carey said when he was asked to go to India. He said, I will venture to go down, but remember, you must hold the ropes. We need each other. If we're going to accomplish anything in this city for God, we need each other. And because this is such an important and pivotal thing, we can imagine that this is the enemy's number one target. The thing that he opposes most fiercely is that we stay in relationship. He is fearful that we will become a body that is so unified that nothing can tear relationships apart. That is a scary thing to the enemy because unity 
unity, being in relationship. That doesn't mean that our personalities all mesh. That doesn't mean we all agree on everything, but staying in unity, forgiving, asking, and receiving for forgiveness is the most fiercest thing the enemy fears. Because when we are unified, when we will forgive, when we have, as we call it encounters, a stronghold of forgiveness that cannot be torn apart by, by policy or by partisan thoughts or by, or by hurts or by wounds, that is something that God can do a mighty work through. And so that's the thing that gets opposed so fiercely. But let me keep going. Why is Christian friendship necessary? This is such a simple question. It's like, doesn't everybody know this? Why is it necessary to have friends that are believers? Why? We need to be intimate with one another. We are created to connect. Every mother knows that the first thing that we do, every father knows the first thing when a baby is born, we need that child to connect with their mother. We are created for connection. We are created for intimacy. Babies, we all understand, the babies that do not have that connection suffers harm. They suffer emotional harm and mental harm. The elderly, I, I, I go to visit my mother-in-law in a... a assisted care facility. She needs to be touched. I think she goes days and weeks, and of course there are wonderful health care providers there, but I'm sure Elena will attest. Elderly people need touch. They need someone to hold their hand because we were created to be connected to other people, and that's why we go to extreme lengths to have that connection. Even when our mind says we shouldn't, we want to connect. We want to be related to people. And sometimes relationships just disintegrate into meeting each other's needs and we still never connect at a deeper level. But isolation is such a horrible thing. And the sad thing is there are so many people in churches that feel isolated, that feel alone. And this, of all places, should be a place that we feel loved, that we feel connected with something greater and with one another. This, among all places, should be a place where our faults are overlooked. Not our sins, our faults. Love covers how much sin? How many faults? It covers a multitude I have eight minutes, and I'm on page two. Pray for me. Someone intercede for me right now. I'll hear about this later if you don't. Okay. Isolation makes everything that you're walking through so much worse. When you feel alone, you don't have someone to talk to, and that's when the enemy gets in. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares if you live or die. Nobody cares. What you do now is not important. Nobody cares. You don't, no one's looking to you. You're not influencing anyone. And that's a lie. Because we need each other. The gift that God has placed in you, this body needs that gift. Your sister, your brother, your, the person that sits in that small group, we need what God has placed in you. And it's a lie to believe that you're not valuable, that you're not missed when you don't come, when you don't attend, when you don't go and visit. That's a lie that says nobody cares about you. Nobody knows this is if you're here or you're not. That's not true. We notice. We care. 
and we need each other. Spiritual growth begins alone when you make your decision to follow Christ. That's when that, that seed of the Spirit is planted in us, when we say, yes, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to associate with those crazy Christians. I am one of them. That's where it starts, but it cannot mature in isolation. It is impossible to grow spiritually and be alone. When I'm in my prayer closet, which is a Christianese way of saying when I go to pray, wherever I go to have a special place I go to pray, it's not, you don't have to have one, I, I just have one. I am the most spiritual person in the world in that prayer closet. You'd never seen anyone as holy as me as I am in that prayer closet. Why? Because it's just me and God. I'm not rubbing elbows with anybody. Nobody's personality is getting on my nerves. Nobody's sin is getting in my face. My sin isn't getting in somebody else's face. I'm the holiest thing you ever saw when I'm alone. And even though my journey and your journey started alone in the sense that no one could accept the sacrifice for me besides me, I can't mature by myself. I need you, and you need me to grow, to mature. And some personalities love that. You know, the the Joe's youngest born, they always want to be around people. That's no problem. But for someone like me who gets refueled by, okay, this is like the dorkiest thing, so maybe we can cut it out of the live stream, but I don't know how. I get refueled by reading. Okay, how boring is that? Seriously, I know, dork city. But that's how I get refueled. My husband gets built up and refueled by being around people. The more people, the better. We're different. But God has called me to be in relationship just like he's called him to be. I don't get a pass because sometimes it's draining to be around people. Any people, not even just irritating people. It's just my personality. I don't get a pass because my natural bent is to refuel alone. My husband pointed out the fact that the only time we even read that Jesus was alone was when he was praying and when he was on the cross. All the other times, he had disciples with him. He was mentoring. He was, being, he was frying fish. He was friends. He was, doing, he was with people because he was establishing a new way of living life. And that new way of living life was to love people to our own detriment, to love people to the extent that the world goes, what? This is crazy. This is crazy. I've never seen anything like that. We can't do that in our ivory towers. We can't do that saying that we're going we're gonna to be on a prayer sabbatical for a month. Not that God doesn't call us to do that because he does, but we have to come out. We have to get into the world We have to make friends that will pray with us and believe with us, and we need to keep going. So quit making me go so slow. Why is Christian friendship necessary? Intercession. First one was because we need to connect. We're we're created to connect, and if we don't find Christian friends to connect to, guess what? Our heart still wants to be intimate with someone. Our heart still wants to share those things that we're going through. Second thing is intercession. We remember the, the story when Peter, James, one of the two sons of thunder, was, was killed. The king killed him 
He was threatened by what was happening with Christians, and so he killed him. And he saw that that pleased the Jewish community. So he thought, you know what? I'm going to go for the big guy now. I'm going to arrest Peter. So he went to the head of the church, which was Peter, and he threw him in prison. Well, uh, the women got together, and I'm sure there were men there too, and they had a prayer meeting. It said they prayed earnestly. They knew that James was killed. Peter was next. So they, it got real. It got real, real fast. And that word earnestly is the same word that, that it was used for Jesus when he was praying in the garden to such an extent that as he sweat, we know that his, it was tinged with blood. This is how seriously these men and women were praying. We need that for our families. Let me just share something with you that the pastors of this church need you to be praying earnestly for us. The worship team needs you to pray earnestly for them. I would love to see whole small groups devoted to praying for your leadership team. We need this. You need us to be prayed for. You need us to be people that are praying. Donette, thank you. Thank you, my sister. Increase. I wish we could increase the time there. That's what I wish. God, we already read that God has purposed. He has things planned for us to do, specific things for me to do and for you to do that he planned before the earth was created. How that gets accomplished is through our gifting and through people connecting and joining together. Doing great feats for God, doing ordinary things for God, doing boring, mundane things for God, like taking food to someone who's sick, all the things and everything in between, we need each other. I have an example of something that we just did we just had our benefit last week, and we have a clip that I'll show you just, this is a, a, a small feat that happened because women and men got together and decided we have something that we need to offer. This is just a small clip to let you see that, and then we'll finish. And it was as much fun as it looked like it was. Yeah. 
I think a line from that song is, I could be wrong, but I think it was, with every broken bone, I swear I lived. And that's what it is to be a part of the body of Christ. We're going we're gonna to rub shoulders, and I'll tell you, the business team, excuse me, that started on that, <clears throat> there were some... There were some nights where we didn't even like each other by the end of the meeting. It's just, that's what happens when you're passionate about something. You all have creative ideas. Try leading this team of creative women and see how, how that feels. But I mean, but when you have the understanding, when you have the, the truth, the realization that it doesn't matter if you disagree, it doesn't matter if, if you have to wrestle to come to something that you all agree on. That's not a reason to not go after what God has called you to do. And if you have that bond of the Holy Spirit, we have no excuse. We are without excuse. Because we have the author of love dealing with our hearts. We have the fountain. I was telling the band backstage, I started losing it when we started singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. For some reason, that song, I mean, they're all amazing, but that song just struck my heart today. He is the fountain of every single good thing in my life. And I have no excuse to not overlook someone's churlishness. I have no excuse to not love. I have no excuse because of how much has been given to me and how much has been shown to me. Companion of the wise will grow wise. The friends we surround ourselves with will determine the quality and the direction of your life. Make no mistake about it. This is true. It will determine the trajectory of your life. The friends that you surround yourself with. I'm not talking about you have to go after rich friends. I'm not saying you have to go after uh, friends that are above you or whatever. I'm saying people that are in, have a common like, common core beliefs as you. You cannot spend your time with people that do not believe that Jesus is God's son and expect to fulfill what God has called you to do. If you think about I'll just read it here. When we think about back to our greatest regret or the period of our life when we think, man, I wish I could redo that. Give me a redo. I want to redo. I challenge you to tell me you were not with friends when that happened. We do things with our friends and the friends that we choose will either help us fulfill God's purpose in our life or it will take us on a detour because the Bible says that the companion of fools will suffer harm. And we go, well, I'm not going to do what she does. I'm just hanging around or I'm not going to do that. I'm not ever going to make that choice. It says you will suffer harm. That means it's going to splash on you. It is. And so it's important, if you're serious about fulfilling those things we talked about in the beginning, that God has things planned, an orderly plan for you to walk, you think, well, man, I've, I've screwed that up. And please don't give me that, well, I'm so thankful for the mistakes I made. It's made me who, no, it's made me who I am today. Well, fine, but who could you have been today had you not taken that detour? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm fine that we, we can solve ourselves with that, with that memory, but God has a purpose for you, and you need people around you that believe 
that God has a purpose for you. And you need to be that purpose that believes God, that person that believes God has a purpose for you. We need that Christian fellowship that says, we believe God will do this through us. And we encourage one another. The Bible says, as long as it's called day, encourage one another. We have to be able to work on a team together to achieve a greater purpose than we could have done alone. Lastly, and most importantly for me, is decide to stay. Um, like I said before, I was raised in a missionary home and, and a pastor's home. And so one of the most painful, painful things in my life has been when people decide to leave. And that that's, that's, comes with the territory. I understand that. So when I married a man that goes, I think I want to be a pastor, I didn't know whether to, to weep or to laugh because I thought, the thing that I have greatly feared has come upon me is what I actually thought. But anyway... And it's been a source of great joy and great pain in my life. And I, I understand that for some of y'all, your greatest source of pain might have been a physical ailment or a divorce or problems that you're having with your children. I mean, pain comes in different things. But for me, my greatest source has been people in churches. And I've been on the giving end of pain. I've said things that I shouldn't have said, done crazy things that I look back and I think, why did I, that was terrible advice. Why did I give them? And I understand that the enemy will try anything to get us to break relationship. And it doesn't take much. You'd be surprised how little it takes to break relationship. The thing that God said, you need to make covenant with one another. We need to love one another. This is the one way you will show everyone around that I am alive. Is if you love each other and you stay connected to each other and you care about each other. And that's the first thing. Oh, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. For the slightest thing. Now, does God call people to other churches? Absolutely. Does God take us different places for jobs? Absolutely. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that have been wounded by being in a small group, by sitting here, by something I said, by something someone else said, by something a friend said. And that's all it takes. For God's purpose, for what he wanted to plant you here for, is now done. And if I were to ask for a show of hands for how many people have felt the very same way, how many people have been wounded, and your first thought is, I'm out of here. Well, first of all, let me say, you will not have thought that more than I've thought that. I would have thought, I'm out of here probably more than any of you. But I'm still here. And why am I still here? I don't want, the obvious, there's an obvious reason. <clears throat> but beyond the obvious reason... I am committed to the truth that God wants us in relationship. And unless he tells me to leave, and for some people have said, well, God told me to go. And I ask him five years later, well, where are you? Where are you planted? Where are you planted? Well, I'm not really planted anywhere. I'm having home church with, you know, my uncle. No, no. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will what? Flourish. 
And so this, I understand, this is the enemy's greatest tactic against believers. People that love each other, people of good intent, but he'll come in and he'll allow hurt and pain. We don't know what to do. And so our answer, I'll just, I'll start over somewhere else. But what goes with us when we start over somewhere else? I go with me when I start over somewhere else. Nothing has been solved. The relationship has not been repaired. Let's close. Would you stand with me? I'm going to have you stand for a few moments. Be kind to one another. Mean as a snake. Is that what it says? Touchy, irritable, unloving, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. See, it's not... What we, it's not that we don't know some great secret. It's that we're not doing and putting into practice what we know to be truth. I'm not saying something that you haven't already heard. I'm saying something that maybe you're not practicing. And therein lies the strength. And therein lies the power of the blood of Jesus. That we actually do what he's called us to do. And be who he said we are by faith. I want to be like Ananias. I truly want to, when God tells me to do something, I might not understand it, but I have to trust that God has a vision and a reason for asking me. And my obedience is what pleases him. That's when he goes, that's my girl. She's obeying me. There she is. That's my girl. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another because God forgave us. There's nothing that you can do to me that I haven't already agreed someone else in that same way. God has forgiven me much. And if I can't extend that to you, if I won't extend that to you, Take a picture of this. If, if We're going to go through it quickly. Consider what you've done to break this relationship. In Matthew, it says, you know what? You need to go to your brother and sister, and that's the righteous thing to do. But first, before you go, could you just take out that big stumbling block that you have been to other people? Could you just please remove that blinder from your own eye first? There was a, a, a quick story of a, of a Christian counselor, and he saw this man coming into his office, and this man had a cantaloupe sitting on top of his head. He was wearing it like a hat. And he had a piece of raw bacon wrapped around this ear, and a piece of raw bacon wrapped around this ear. And he comes in, and he sits down. He said, Doc, I got to talk to you. The doctor goes, well, man, this is, I'm going to have some work here. And the guy goes, I need to talk to you about my brother. What? You have this, and that's kind of how I think God sees us sometimes. We've got all these things that, are, that we need to f not fix, take to the foot of the cross and deal with. But yet we're so busy trying to fix our brother when we've got this going on. Consider your part. Express your commitment. I don't want us to separate. I don't want us to, I don't want us to split apart. 
This doesn't honor God when we do that. This isn't an example to the world. I want to restore this relationship. And I'm telling you now, I want to restore it. I want to restore it. Humble yourself. Admit where you were wrong. If Jesus could get on his knees and wash his disciples' feet, can you not go to your sister or brother and say, this is what I did to harm you. This is what I said, and I'm sorry. Walking in the footsteps of our Lord. Don't rush it, but deal with it. Apologize. Be specific. Extend forgiveness. If you need someone to help you, bring someone in to walk through it with you and pray together. Like, well, there wasn't any gold nugget there. No, there's no secret to following God. He keeps it simple for us. It's just the hardness of our heart that refuses to obey him. That's the problem. So would you pray with me? And if there's anyone here that, well, I know there are people here that have broken relationships. And I don't mean just you had a spat and you'll be fine tomorrow. I mean, you purposely want to go to another service because you don't want to see this person. Or you say bad things or you just let comments slip out. Father, we are a body that is serious about pursuing you and your purpose for us together as a church that you have called each one of us here for a reason. Every gift that resides in every person in this building is needed. And Father, heal any areas in our heart where we want to run, where we want to just say, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to start over somewhere else. Father, heal those areas of our heart. Help us to have the truth planted deep that you have called us here. You have a purpose for us here. Help us not to shirk, not to run away, but to face what you've called us to do, to love you, to obey you, to serve you. Father, I thank you for every family here, every person. God, we love you. And I know it doesn't mean anything to say we love you if we're not willing to obey you. So, Father, Touch our hearts. Give us the courage to do the things that we need to do. And Father, we love you. We love one another. We're asking for a blessing. Lord, I'm believing that as this church moves in unity, you will open doors that have been closed to us. You will open areas that have heretofore been closed. Father, we believe that because we're honoring your word. We're humbling ourselves. We're asking you, Father, for blessings. Father, when Pastor Mark said to position ourselves for a blessing, position ourselves, we are doing that this morning. We are forgiving. Right now, that person you're thinking of that you need to forgive, I'm asking you to right now forgive them. In your heart, decide, I'm going to forgive that person. If there's someone you need to extend forgiveness to right now in your heart, extend forgiveness to them.
Let the blood of Jesus cleanse you from that sin of unforgiveness. And Father, we appropriate your blood this morning because we crave the unity of your spirit. Heal broken hearts this morning, Father. Thwart the enemy's plan in every life this morning. Thwart the enemy's plan for this church, his assignment against this church this morning. Father, may we be more unified than ever in the past because the power of your spirit resides in unity. And I thank you, God. I thank you. I ask for a blessing on every woman, every man, every child. Protection on our property and our person. We pray for the families that are grieving in Paris. Father, we ask for justice. You are a God of justice. And we ask, Father, that the perpetrators will be found out, that justice will come as much as we are going to have it on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. We love you. We love you. We'll see you next week.